Alexis is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody as right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Come on, take it quickly, Reggie! Yes, good match. Now, Lenny's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get my way. Hello, and welcome to episode 244 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. Jack Harper and Alex Jones. Plenty to get into this week. We have news of the week as always. We've got uh, a mixture of the Premier League. We'll do statements as we did the other week and I've got a mixture of those to ask. We'll debate whether Spurs are right to give up on Undombele or if they should uh, persist with him. Thoughts on Norwich and uh, the way they're approaching this Premier League season. And then we'll close with a little mention to uh, Manny Pacquiao, as it looks like we may have seen his last fight this weekend. So, news of the week to kick us off. It's quite, it's quite a dark week, I'll say. So, uh, brace yourself. Um, <laughs> the first two words here you're going to realise. Uh, <laughs> veteran paraplegic skydiver survives accident after parachute gets stuck in his wheelchair. <laughs> That guy can't catch a break. Good news, I suppose. Yeah, let's tell the tale. Um, China villagers learn to live with the elephant in the room. (laughs) Uh, Sri Lanka bans drunk driving of elephants in new protection law. And about time too. Elephant news. (laughs) Domino's customer horrified to find nuts and bolts baked into his pizza toppings. You don't get out of Papa John's, do you, Bart? <laughs> you don't. Uh, sexually frustrated sea snakes mistake scuba divers for potential mates. I've had it with these goddamn snakes. <laughs> <laughs> Idaho man balances 101 toilet paper rolls on his forehead, breaking the world record. Nice. It's actually really impressive. Um... <laughs> Tom Cruise went to an Indian restaurant and ordered a chicken tikka masala twice. I saw this and... <laughs> what? What? How is this in the headline? And how did you see it? Like, the twice is in caps lock in the headline as well. It was, what? It was on Twitter and, like, you know, Tom Cruise is quite a good-looking guy for his age, you would say. In this, he looks just like your average Joe that would usually order two, two curries. Uh, a British village is on the hunt for a vandal who pours beans on people's front doors. I've seen this as well, weirdly. See? They've, 
release validating my headlines again. <laughs> so I think people do think I make them up sometimes. Uh, soccer loving Pope Francis has treated himself to a new foosball table. Nice. It's going to be some perks of the job, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, Besides, uh, well, <laughs> it's probably keeps him out of trouble. Keeps him out of trouble, I guess. I was about to yeah. say, it's probably to entertain his dating interest. Can't imagine we'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, <laughs> woman runs 100 miles on treadmill in under, in under 22 hours for Guinness World Record. <sighs> and Alex mm-hmm. won't do half a marathon in a wetsuit. <laughs> and three brothers die after being stuck in a manure pit in Ohio. I hate manure. But they, they actually died. The fumes are what killed them. So, hell of a way to go. That's oh, actually, I nearly actually, had that at your gaff at once, to be fair. <laughs> shit way to go, some might say. Right. <laughs> there it is. Anyway. He's been waiting to use that one all day. I haven't, <laughs> but it's <laughs> popped into my head and I had to jump in because I thought TK was about to say the same. Um, I, I I did cross my mind. I thought it was low hanging fruit, even for this pod. But no, well, we, we take some it. fruit might have saved them. Too much fruit, maybe. Premier League, then. So, essentially, first of all, I do want to quell something that uh, Jack messaged me yesterday. We didn't speak about Arsenal for forty minutes last week. We actually did twenty minutes news of the week, so it was twenty six minutes on Arsenal, just uh, <laughs> for the record. But what we will do is uh, we'll go through the Premier League kind of highlights of the weekend, the talking points. And rather than, I know sometimes we can start somewhere and end up somewhere else. So this should keep us a bit more refined. What I have is a number of statements according to each game that we're going to mention. And the person I ask this to, you tell me if you strongly agree, agree, disagree, or strongly disagree. Have you got that, Alex? Because I know we had issues with this last time. (laughs) Uh, so just so we got now, just kidding. <laughs> there is no, there's not a prefer not to say option. No, got it. Um, no middle ground option. No, not no. at all. But and I'll start with you, TK, because I have a number of questions regarding oh, sure. Liverpool against Burnley. Uh, mm. Now I did see you uh, tweet similar to this in the week, so I thought I would uh, check your opinion. Uh, it's surprising how much better Liverpool look with Van Dijk back in the team. Yeah, that was a shock twist, wasn't it? Um, so strongly I guess disagree? I have to strongly disagree that it's a shock then, don't I, I guess? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it seems seems ridiculous. That, that entire season last year where we were saying, oh, missing him is making a real difference, there may be some truth to that. Who knows? Maybe. Do you think, though, it's overstated or understated, perhaps, how much it helps the attack? Because things it does look like you're, you're playing yeah, almost with a bit less pressure this year around obviously that the fans help as we hear during mm. every game i mean almost every goal i've seen you score so far since has in some way been attributed to van dyke <laughs> it's kind of a six degrees rule isn't it you can find your way back to him yeah. one way or another uh i think i said at one point during our season that it, when you watch it watches with him and even if you watch another team who doesn't have a centre-back who can play it out you see how much difference it can make like, the, the balls yeah. that he can sort of spray on the diagonal you can kind of miss out the midfield in itself and I don't think it's any coincidence that people like Trent and Robbo had a quite a year as well last year because they don't have that sort of liberty to be able to go on to it's not quite the same getting a ball from Matt Phillips 
maybe show the difference in the teams that there were times last season where I was having to say, and we just looked so much better in attack when we got David Luiz in the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very similar. Very similar. If I ask these to TK, then obviously after he's given his answer, if anyone wants to jump in, then do so. But I do have questions regarding Spurs, Wolves, Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, and so on. Um, Jota is now firmly ahead of Firmino in the pecking order at Liverpool. I will agree, but Firmino hasn't actually looked bad. Didn't look bad in that first one when he came on and has looked sharp enough in pre-season. So I don't know that it's like a mile ahead, but Jota's obviously goal-scoring record is hard to argue with. Uh, The early success Simicass has had is more due to Klopp's excellent system rather than his ability as a footballer. Disagree. I think he's a good player. Um, don't know that he's going to be Andy Robertson, but he's, I think, very good and will probably end up in a situation where he probably plays well enough that he's going to think, I don't want to be a backup for much longer. So may have to move next year. Who knows? That's ideally what you want, I guess. When you buy low, you yeah. give them enough that you sell high and then you replace them with someone else that does the same. Yeah, it could be getting entirely carried away in the first two games and he could stink out the gaff. But uh, he was being linked with a lot of clubs prior to us signing, wasn't he? Yeah. Where yeah. he would have City been a starter. And Arsenal. Yeah, and I think a couple of lower clubs where he would have definitely been like the, the main uh, left-back. So it'll be interesting he, to see if he, if he does kick on. He was linked with us um, pre-Tierney. Um, I know mm. that there was a game, because it was Olympiacos, wasn't it? He was at... Yeah. 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 He, he had a game against uh, City in the Champions League and supposedly Pep and Arteta were both just blown away by him and then you saw his name just constantly in the press from there onwards. Mm. The reason I kind of worded it like that was I thought it made it a bit too obvious if I put kind of whether he's a Robertson level player or not but it does seem the way the system is set up and the fact that's how it's supposed to be you haven't really noticed that Robertson's been gone in these two games so far and I mean you're playing Chelsea at the weekend, which we'll get to, and maybe you would notice it there. Mm. But it's been pretty seamless, and I guess you got to credit the system for that as much as Simicas. Yeah, it's true. And it would have been interesting to see him thrown into basically the Lions then last year, where we didn't have a lot yeah. of players fit and we're in disarray. We're probably talking about a completely different player. So there's probably some argument there, yeah. Credit to the scouting team as well that they've got someone with a similar profile in that it's not. Uh, you, the Arsenal example, Tierney out and Klasenac coming in or when you have yeah. <laughs> that kind yeah, of and, thing and where you have to completely change things up. Probably even being able to convince him to become where he's going to have seen Robertson Yeah, probably know his chances are going to be limited. There's some uh, some quality to be able to do that. Yeah. Uh, Harvey Elliott will play more minutes than Curtis Jones this season. That has been interesting, hasn't it? Um... I'm going to disagree. I think Curtis Jones will come in and get more. But it, it, I think it will be actually very close, which I probably wouldn't have thought pre-season. And finally, Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood were the perfect strikers to get Van Dyke ready for Lukaku. Uh, disagree, but I, I understand the principle. If we go on to... Is there anything else you want to say on the Liverpool game first before we carry on? No, no, I thought, I thought we looked good. I think I, I don't think anyone's paid too much attention to it because it's Norwich and Burnley. So I think that's probably a fair interpretation of it. I think we've looked good, yeah. but we're really not going to have much of an idea for a few more games. Obviously, the Chelsea want to help, but yeah, 
a few more after that to sort of know where we're at, I think. The fact that your centre-backs at the moment are fit, you've got clearly Van Dijk, Matip, Canate, uh, so on, Gomez. Is there a chance Klopp goes three at the back on Saturday or is he completely ingrained in what he does? Because the teams that have matched Chelsea's shape give them a lot more trouble than the other way around. It's true. Um, I don't think he will, no. Um, maybe partly because it just maybe sends out the wrong message that we're more yeah. worried about them than ourselves, which sometimes you've got it, but you don't want to be seen to be, do you? No. Uh, I, think, I think the main thing, having watched Chelsea against Arsenal, and we'll, we'll come on to this, I'm sure, but yeah. was how easy it was to basically for them to by, bypass the midfield and get it into Lukaku's yeah. feet. Yeah. And if, if we, if basically it's going to be on our midfield, if our midfield does the same, We'll get we'll get the same treatment, and they don't care who you got at the back. You, you're not going to win every battle against Lukaku, no. so you you can't be letting him get his number. It's about limiting how many chances like that he gets, rather than expecting yeah. to win all the chances because you're not going to. He's too big and too good. Yeah. Um, a couple of things to mention on Villa versus Newcastle, which you may not have been expecting here, um, and anyone can answer this. So uh, hit your buzzer if you want to jump in on this one. Uh, Dean Smith needs to find a system where both Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins can play up front together as Watkins regains fitness. I think they'd be beneficial. I think they complement each other well. I think as well that Ollie Watkins is a, a line kind of drawing sent forward where he really pushes that line back with his runs and Danny Ings is more of a poacher. I mean, that's not to kind of do Danny Ings down at all. He's a fantastic finisher. I just think that his game is on the second ball more than creating it for himself, potentially. Um, at the moment, it looks like Watkins will likely be shifted out left. He can play there. It's just how happy you keep him out there, I guess, isn't it? You're pigeonholing him a bit, aren't you? You're forcing him yeah. in. Do you got new headphones, TK? You sound particularly crisp today. Oh, do I? No, no, just, uh, I don't know. Luck of the draw, I guess. Um, so this is related to uh, the da- the goal Danny Ings scored, the overhead kick then. So scoring from a throw-in is more of a result of poor defending than skilled coaching routines. Interesting. The, the reason I went with this is when you look back to how Stoke did it, the focus was always on, particularly Arsenal, how poorly it was defended and essentially... You chuck it in and you prey on calamitous defending. I just noticed a bit of a trend in the credit to where things are going. I wondered how people feel. Is it the same level as a good free kick routine, a good corner routine, or are you very much relying on the defence doing something wrong to to nail a good throw in? It's like cats in the wind, mm. isn't it, when the long throw comes in? It's just, it throws everybody, but... And I know Roy that coined it with the trajectory, the flat trajectory, and that's what they say is the issue. But essentially, it's a long ball. People not, maybe people get in their own heads about it, like defenders get in their heads about it a bit too much. They definitely get shook, yeah, yeah. definitely. But I, I guess like the difference is, is that from a, from a free kick, you have that defensive line that you can keep to stop being offside. I guess <laughs> if you've got the, if you can throw it that far and you try and play offside, it's pointless. So. I would say the couple we've seen so far, I don't know that there's been a particular routine worked out about it either. So in that sense, you you could say maybe there was some poor defending going on, like like the Ings one. I don't know that 
they worked on the training ground that he was going to ping in a bicycle kick off the front. No, no, and no. Then, the, so the, the Brentford one, though, poor defending. Because the only thing I, I pointed out last week was that the way they stepped onto Leno is probably yeah, yeah, the reason it wasn't given yeah. as a foul because the way they did it was a bit more subtle. And so there, I think there was some coaching that obviously went into that and it's, it's worked out a charm. You usually can tell, can't you? Because they'll run towards a particular coach or something when it's a set piece routine yeah, that comes off. Yeah. Well, more and um, more clubs are obviously focusing on this and actually yeah. coach, coaching it, aren't they? Which I know there was some attention given it to when Liverpool hired one. It seems yeah. to be becoming more and more the norm. So it's, it's going to be more more the way that these are, like you said, well-coached manoeuvres where once upon a time, even the Stoke thing, I don't know yeah. how much coaching per se was going in is this guy's got a massive throw yeah. all over six <laughs> foot. I don't think well, you have to work too much on it. This isn't a statements question, but I don't know if anyone saw the story at the weekend. So West Brom played Blackburn and West Brom have supposedly... Uh, taken this as part of their summer training as they've, they've really taken on the long throw. Now, the game was at Blackburn and Blackburn knew this was going to happen and their players went around the edge of the pitch and they took all the towels and they chucked them into the crowd. <laughs> and they essentially, the, the stance they were taking was, and Tony Mowbray said after, you can do it on your own ground. On our ground, we have the right to have all these things out. At home, you can have 10 towels for every blade of grass if you want to pass the line. When you're at our ground, we don't have to have those alongside. We can get rid of those if we want to. And I don't know how, where everyone stands on that, whether that should be something and it's as much as where some teams uh, leave the grass longer or some teams have a wider pitch, some teams have a longer pitch. Is it just, should you be allowed just to have that? Because... No one's stopping you using your shirt, but you obviously do have a particular advantage if you can add an extra 20 seconds on each time drying the ball and building yourself up and getting everyone in. I mean, it's all part of the game. I think if you look at other sports like cricket and whatnot, like you play to the pitch, you play to the environment as much as you play the game. And I guess if it's your own pitch, you can do whatever you want. I've Sunday league games where... Yeah, so this was away they, from home. They, yeah. they, 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 when they spoke to the fourth official after... They said you can't do that, and they they allowed him to bring all the towels back out, and West Brom were able to then dust dust the ball down each time. Little bitches. Get going. I, I mean, I've I've seen pitches where they've been on like forty five degree gradients, and <laughs> the team that you're playing against definitely knows how to play on that pitch. Yeah, and it, it is an advantage, but it's just part of the game. Isn't it? Yeah, I've I've never really got why there was uproar about these things. Same with like like you said, letting the grass grow longer and stuff. So. Teams under no obligation to sort of accommodate you, are they? I never, but, I never got why there was any controversy about these things. This is this is what I mean. So the fact that West Brom were the away side and they yeah, yeah. were being allowed to do it, and Mowbray saying, "Well, all these things usually we can do," and because it's our pitch, we're allowed to do that. Yeah. On this occasion, yeah. they're being told you can't do this. They're allowed to kind of adapt it as if it's their own. Very strange that. But he said he's going to be have a meeting with the FA this week and inquire about the rules and say, look, I can't imagine there's this. a rule that you have to have towels and sew the pitch. <laughs> I can't see that. No, but he's saying we, we we should be allowed to prevent them doing this basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they lost the game two one, which obviously makes it look worse when you're going to complain. Um, that's that's how we always say. Although uh, that has seemed strange because we saw 
Klopp and uh, Oli both complain after wins last season. <laughs> and then the consensus was, you just won the game. What are you whinging about now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're never going to win. They, they... <laughs> um, and finally, so this relates to the Danny Ings goal. There's no such thing as a bad overhead kick. No, no, that's a hundred percent correct. Whatever... You've got you the parameters of the strongly agree, agree, disagree, strongly disagree. Strongly agree. I mean, I remember Yahamba scoring an overhead kick, <laughs> um, and that was like, Lord, it is one of the best goals ever. It just like flopped in the far corner. <laughs> Who said that? Come on, give us a name. Who was lauding it? The spectacular effort or something. I, mean, I think that was the give... circumstance more than the goal. <laughs> it his first goal as well. However, like, it's just, even though it was, it's still a brilliant overhead kick in everyone's eyes, I would still agree. Uh, I, disagree, I disagree, and I think you can have a bad overhead kick. I think you have to have a certain level of height. If you're almost going down to the floor to kick it over your head, which we have seen on occasion just because it's easier than swiveling on the ball, I don't think you get the same amount of credit. I think the ones where you, you don't scissor it the same, I think that that marks you down. I think you can have a bad overhead kick. I mean, Rooney's versus City, it came off his shin, but it still went top bins. Is that a bad overhead kick? No, that was a good overhead kick, but I do enjoy... The United fans' reaction if you do question. <laughs> um, all right, so I only have one question for Southampton Man United. Um, uh, admittedly, I was on the way to the Kilometers Arsenal game, so I've only seen the highlights. So if there's anything else, I think we can jump in. The, the only question I had was there's a well, statement it was a foul on Bruno Fernandes. Strongly like that kind of physicality is what we love about the Premier League. The fact the officials are letting things go a little bit more to keep the game flowing, it'll discourage diving. It'll discourage these kind of minimal contact fouls because they know they won't get anything for it. And that is the only way to get it out of the game. So I'm literally all for it. I agree that, uh, I disagree, sorry, that it was a foul. So I'm, I'm with you there. The, the whole thing with the referees, they've been abysmal this weekend again. And I thought I was overreacting last week. They were worse this week. <laughs> and Klopp, Klopp agrees with me. Oli <laughs> agrees with me. Like Oli said, you're turning it into a game of rugby. Definitely not. As, as, but people want to see flowing games of football. Like Manuel Pellegrini has come out this week and said the Liga is the worst league in Europe because of how slow and drawn out and the diving and the time wasting. And that's exactly right. Whenever you there's a stark difference whenever you play. Against... When one of these goes against Chelsea, I'll be interested <laughs> to hear your reaction. All, all, all I'm saying is that when you play against Spanish teams in the in Europe, but we're talking about the Premier League refereeing. No, but all I'm saying is when you play against Spanish teams in Europe and they're diving all over the floor, the game is not as enjoyable as it is in England. And I've loved the last two weeks. I thought there's nothing that I would complain about the referees. Even VAR's kind of sorted itself out. Uh, these referees have been accessories to GBH on some occasions. There's letting the game flow, and the one on Bruno, if it's something like a shoulder barge, sound, there was, there was nothing wrong with that one. There, we all know what a foul is. 
And it seems now the referees are like, that's a soft foul. We won't give it when it's still a foul rather than that's a borderline one. I'll let it slide. And I don't know what, uh, it'd be interesting if, if we were to be told what the brief was and what they were told as to marking these things out. I mean, because like I said, that, it's... TK, like, what side of the fence do you fall upon? I think, I think it, the stand has been better so far this year. Uh, I said last week, didn't I, that I reserved judgment saying that they're going to be absolutely fine until I've seen a bit more. Mm. Um, I think we're probably at a point where we maybe have to choose the lesser of two evils. If we do want the game to flow a little bit more and we're going to get some decisions that aren't right, or we would rather them stop it a lot. And you're still getting some that are wrong, but you're having a more broken up game. And I think that's the choice they've ultimately made. I think they've looked at the Euros over the summer and said, look, games flowed, it went quick. We're going to go with this and miss a few. For example, I thought it probably was a, a penalty for Arsenal in the Arsenal-Chelsea game, by way of example. Uh, and that, was just, that was just a clumsy foul. But that's, that's still because, a wall. But because of the sort of the culture we've got now where we want to let it flow, I think there's pressure on referees where they, they can't give one like that. Whereas I thought that that was, it wasn't, you know, no bad intent or anything. It was just a clumsy tangle of legs and he didn't get the ball, so it had to be. So I, I, I don't Euros think it's perfect like it is. This. Sorry? The ones in the Euros, the, the officiating was different to this. The ones in the Euros were very much the type of the Bruno ones, the shoulder barges, the ones where you take you take the ball and... Uh, the man goes down and then you're saying if I listen well, if I the, the thing the thing with it is is I'd say one and I said this during the years everyone said how great the referees are everyone said how great the referees are because they had no attachment to almost every game so you don't, you really don't care if they get it right or wrong whereas in the Prem everyone's got an opinion on every game and everything's so much more loaded that it sways, you, it sways your opinion on it so we care more the and the second point is I don't I don't see these GBH-like challenges that you're seeing or Jürgen seeing or Ollis seeing either. I've, I think there's been some strong ones, but I don't see anything where I thought, oh, we're going too far here, we're endangering players. I haven't, I haven't seen that. So as it stands, I think they're just on the balance of things. They're getting it right. That, that, one, on, that one on Saka, like whether, whether you're saying that you're making the game more flowing, that's a penalty regardless of whatever way you frame it. If you if you clatter into someone's knee or out of thigh or whatever you want to call it in the middle of the box, it's going to be a penalty. There was one on Xhaka yesterday. I let out a noise I don't think I've ever made before. And the ref's just waving it on as if he's seen nothing because I don't know if he's out of breath. He doesn't want to put the whistle to his mouth and expend a bit more energy. Paul Tierney yesterday, his cards are marked on my part. If I see his name in future now, He's in the same <laughs> book as Mike Dean. Blimey. That's not somewhere you want to be. I don't know. There's a difference between letting the game flow and just closing your eyes at fouls. Uh, yeah, and this is I what they're know. doing. I, yeah, I just don't think it's it's that extreme yet. If we had an example where, you know, people getting bootled over the shop, I, I would agree with you, but I don't, I don't think that has been. But I, I do agree that should have been a penalty for us. It's going to take me a while to get past so, that. Yeah, I, you're one of one of, if not the only person who thinks the referees have been shot in the first two weeks. And I don't think they've been quite as good as people do in the first two weeks. I think there's probably somewhere in between, but they've been okay. 
I think they were so bad towards the end of last season. Yeah, the expectations are so low, aren't they, that anything is seen as good. I think no, because they're saying... There was also a VR overturn this weekend that I thought was questionable as well. What game was was that in? I was trying to think. You kind of you got me on the spot. That's right. There's one where it's the first time where I thought this year where we kind of the whole thing because, we'd said in the first week that we weren't getting any pedantic VAR calls, and I thought this form was probably one of them. Well, because what I was going to say was um, I didn't know if we we're in a situation where the main thing they said about why the game's going to flow better, aren't they? Is because they said the VAR was going to be less involved. It was going to be kind of involved only when it needed to be. Yeah. And I don't know if we're in a situation where the refs have been so used to not giving the call because they're relying on the VAR to pull it up. And now the VAR isn't pulling it up because they're saying we'll rely on the referee to kind of highlight it and we'll double down on what they're saying and we'll tell them you made a mistake there. Because that, that one with the Saka one yesterday, there were, there were quite a few overturned with that last season where they essentially said, OK, the player's gone down, but there wasn't that much contact. And I don't know if the refs left it saying VAR will pull me up if nothing happens because I thought, and I was messaging a couple of people because it's hard to know in the ground, is the check still going on? Because they took a while for the corner to happen. I I thought, okay, he's not giving it because he's waiting to see someone in his ear say, that's a pen or that's not a pen or whatever. I don't know what they were showing on TV in terms of whether they were giving it like the slow-mo breakdown or whatever. I don't know. It seemed like one was just waiting for the other to do something and then neither did. Yeah, I think I think last year they would have told him to go and take a look at it. Um and he probably would have given it. Whereas it, like I said, in that in their quest to try and let things flow, I think the VAR goes no stick with the on field decision, which I think in the most part is probably going to be the right decision in a in a close one. But in that one I thought it was it was probably enough on the side of uh, it being a pen that they should have looked at. Having said that, all of the pundits said it wasn't a penalty as well, by the way. So right. I, I could be, t- you know, w- along with you and some Arsenal fans, I could be firmly in the minority on that. I, I think what? it's one of those where if it's given, it's not overturned, but it's also not overturned if it is yeah. with, given. Yeah. With respect, I'll put Jack's opinion to one side here. Other than him <laughs> Are you suggesting he's got a loaded opinion? What? Other than him and the like person whose name rhymes with waft, when I was asking during the game yesterday do you think that's a pen because been there before looks it I was I think there was one with Gwen Doozy who's the culprit where he was a good diver and so I would be utterly convinced that this should have been a free kick or a pen or whatever message someone and my dad or someone would say no that's never this time all the messages I saw were saying that's a penalty I don't understand why that's not a penalty I did see the choice of pundits yesterday, so I'm not too surprised. But, uh, yeah, strange one. I uh, didn't expect Jack to be uh, pleading for it either way, as I wouldn't be the other way around. So, uh, Alex, if you are with us, I do have some questions for you regarding Tottenham Hotspur. I do, and I am here. Okay, so first one, and I know your opinions swayed on this, Spurs fans were right to give Kane a good reception when he came on. Yeah, yeah, they were right. Does that agree? Strongly agree? Agree? Strongly agree. Because the do you think so? Say he comes on the pitch yesterday, Spurs fans boo him. Is that all Levy needs to say? Right, okay, we'll take the cash. 
Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I think so also, he's not going to keep a player that the fans have turned on. I was my thinking. Yeah, but we've seen fans turn on players before and then change their tune as soon as they start to perform again. So, uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo is a prime example of that. <laughs> like, he was literally hated by the entire country, and as soon as he started banging them in for United, um, this was after the Rooney incident against Portugal. Yeah. Uh, everybody, as soon as he started banging them in. Everybody was cheering him after a few matches again. Uh, well, United fans were cheering him. Um, but uh, with Kane, I don't think it would take much to tilt the scales back in his direction um, as long as he showed the right attitude um, and pushed on. So if, if if you were in the ground yesterday and for some reason there was some build-up on the motorway, no other Spurs fans in the ground apart from you, would you have been up on your feet, clapping, cheering? Would you have been neutral? Yeah, I assume by that you wouldn't have been booing him on. Uh, no, I would have. I would have stood up and clapped. Looks like uh, you're in the majority there. Coward. Um. <laughs> well, look. I mean, it, I, I'm not. Uh, he is one of the best players we've ever ever ha- ever ever had, and he has done a lot for the club. Also, you know, say if he is on. <laughs> Everybody knows that he wants to leave, but say if there's any part of him which is a little bit on the fence still. Negativity towards him is going to help keep him stay. <laughs> um, Deli Ali has the skill set to continue playing deeper in midfield. Repeat, so say that again. Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Deli Ali has the skill set to continue playing deeper in midfield. Mm. I'm not uh, disagree. So you think it's just been good performances in the first two, rather than this is what you want to stick with. Yeah, yeah. Um, I We we know that Deli Ali is a staple of the flat to deceive. Um, it's the consistency. Not forgetting the season, particularly under Pochettino, where he did perform consistently for us. But up until now, it's, it's still, I'm not going to suddenly change my tune on him after two games. Um, one of which is against a side that I would have expected to beat. Um, so he is going to be in that critical position in the team. We'll see how he fares after a few more games, after a few more difficult matches as well. Um, and whether that technical ability that he did have, that we have seen moments that finds a more consistent base that he can push off. I'm not too sure he offers too much creatively for us. Um when I say he flats to deceive, I mean he'll nick a goal and he might create, he might, you know, he, he might create something here and there. But it's just that consistency. Um, I don't see how he links up with Son as well as say Kane would, um, but we'll see. So I saw a comparison, and it was actually someone. It was an Arsenal fan speaking about Joe Willock, and they said essentially um, that they're here, they're his type, the Deli Ali type are midfielders that effectively aren't contributing unless they're putting the ball in the back of the net because they're not good enough defenders that you can keep them behind the ball. They're not particularly creative with their range of passing, as in they're not like a De Bruyne, they're not spraying it around, they're not threading that final ball. But obviously what they are clinical with is that late run into the box and getting on the end of things. So you can't rely on them in a technical midfield unless you have enough people around them and you are going to get more games than not in which they do look anonymous. And I know in that Aston Villa game, Willock was criticised for having the same thing happen that uh, we thought might happen. 
Mm. I, I agree with that. I can't can't disagree with that. Uh, yeah. Nuno was correct to play such a weak side in the Conference League. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, it was always going to be one of those competitions, even though I said we should go for it. Um, at the moment, I'd still be playing a very weak side. Um, initially, uh, give the kids a run out. Um, well, you might have been one more run out. <laughs> yeah, well, to be honest, to be honest, I kind of, <laughs> obviously, when we did the, the previous segment like this, where it was like strongly agree, disagree. Uh, I said I would strongly agree with going for the competition. Um, since then, I've <laughs> I've come to a bit of a realization with it in the respect of when I went to look at the kickoff time on Sky Sports, there wasn't it wasn't even on one of the drop downs for the fixtures. And the I gave about I tried for about thirty minutes to find a decent decent showing of it and couldn't. So what I they think, were doing. Last time, if you do need to have a look, they were showing it on Unibet, which might tell you uh, a bit there. <laughs> and essentially, if you deposited in the account and had any money on the Spurs game, then they would let you watch it. I do also know that they were showing it on Premier Sport, but I don't know if that was just uh, in Ireland, where I know they have uh, different rights there. Um, I can actually... So they're showing, is it Wednesday the game? I'll try and see if they were on for you there, but uh doesn't look like it. So, yeah, I think you'll have to be getting on uh, the Unibet Express if you want to watch Spurs <laughs> this week, if it is this week. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, not not ideal. Um, yeah, so to, to summarise, basically, I have no interest in it after sort of understanding what it really is about. Um and I am edging more towards if we're going to have a cup. My, my, basically, the reason I wanted to go for it initially was, look, it's a competition. This side needs to develop a winning pedigree in terms of winning competitions, even though this competition isn't really doesn't really mean anything. It's still that process that you've got to go through at any level. So I'll sort of say we need to try and aim for anything that we can. Um, but I think... When you look at the fixtures, you look at where they are, the travel and stuff like that, I really don't care if we get knocked out after wow. this next leg. Um, and I'd rather go into focus on the other cups in the country, like the Carabao, uh, the FA Cup um, and the Premier League and just throw everything we've got at that. So, yeah, I'd, if it's going to hinder hinder us from a fixture perspective, I'd rather be rid of it. Wow. Um, if uh, you were debating going back and watching... Monday Night Football later, TK. Uh, Gary Neville is on here comparing uh, Klopp's early tenure to Solskjaer's if uh, you uh, needed a reason not to watch it, by the way. Um, but it's weird. No, wanna... no one's done that before. It's weird. No, no one's <laughs> ever gone, money, wow, Including money spent. <laughs> Klopp got uh, time. No one's ever used that one before. Weird. I, I do have a question for you. I, do, I don't know how much of Wolves you've seen. Uh, the, the statement was... Uh, I don't know how you pronounce the manager's surname, so I'll say Bruno Lag. Uh, Bruno Lag's greatest success so far has been showcasing Ruben Neves' full skill set. Uh, I would agree on the basis of he's not he's had precious little success otherwise. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th- I think they could be in a bit of trouble um, with a fairly inexperienced manager. 
Um, the bits of them I have seen, yeah, Ruben Neves has looked good. And I saw um, in the immediate aftermath of United dropping points, then some of their fans suggesting he should be signed. Don't know that he would yeah. solve their problems, but I get the logic. Um, but yeah, as, as a wider point, Neves has been fine, but I think Wolves could be in a bit of trouble. Are you on speaker today rather than headphones, Jack? Uh, I'm always on speaker, constantly. Why? I can hear some rustling from someone. I thought it was coming your direction. No. Um, that's all I have on the Wolves game anyway. On to Arsenal-Chelsea. And Jack, this is, uh, of course, uh, your time to shine. Uh, <laughs> first statement. Timo Werner's time as a Chelsea regular is now over. Um... I would probably say disagree. I think for the right game, he'll be used. I think definitely the Arsenal... As a regular, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, we've got so many competitions to play, in, especially this year with the Club World Cup, etc., that define regular, I guess, because there's going to be 70 to 75 games in this season, for potentially. Well, regular, I would define as someone who's starting most league games. I still think you could see that. I mean... Tuchel obviously saw an opportunity for Lukaku. He said after the interview afterwards where he didn't really coach him too much in the system. He just wanted to see what he could do. And the system completely changed to how I've seen us play last season and the start of this season to when we had Lukaku in the team with the ball through the middle and him holding it up. Whereas Werner, in games where we want to stretch defences against... I would probably back him to play against Liverpool and City personally because the way... They play with a higher line, and he's got his. Were you shocked to see him on the bench yesterday? I wasn't shocked, no, because I think it was the right game for Lukaku to play ahead of him. I think they, we saw an opportunity where you were weak. You know that they can play together, though. Yeah. Because I thought we just expected they'd just put Tino on the left. No, I, you don't dislodge Mount. Mount is pretty much untouchable since that first game where Tickle went for a more experienced team. He hasn't been out of the team really. If he's been fit, he plays. Simple as that. I think. You'll see Werner on the left a lot more than you'll see him through the middle of the season, though. Oh, good. They're, they're showing a Lukaku highlight reel right in front of me now. Do you think he'll um, start more games than he comes on a sub, then? Is maybe a better way of putting it. Yeah, I think he will. Do you think he'll start more than he comes on? Okay. I still think he will. Right. Um, down to Pulisic never been able to stay fit, same mm, as ZH. Mm. And Havertz has the tendency to be injured as well. So, with the injury record of those three players, like, that's one of the reasons why I'm basing this as well. But it looked like yesterday it was like two tens behind the striker and then relying on the wing-backs for the width. Yeah, I think the reason why that was the case is because Lukaku just draws players to him naturally and that's literally how he scored the first, well, the two goals where everyone's concentrating solely on Lukaku and the scared shitless and they just leave Reese James completely oh, free on the left to either cross it or shoot. I think Tierney and Saka just had particularly bad games yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why Tierney's stepping inside as much as he was particularly no, for the second. I, I, um, I agree, and I think that the shape is what kills Arsenal more than the players, but that was possible because of the draw that Lukaku has. Um, I'll go to you, TK, and then I'll perhaps give my opinion after. Um with two first-choice defenders out of action, Mikel Arteta made a mistake not matching Chelsea's shape with three at the back. Yeah, I don't want to sound wise after the event, but I would agree. Um, 
I, I, I think you still probably lose anyway, but I think yeah. you yeah. probably have, you give yourself the, the best possible chance, don't you? Um, I thought it was a little naive, the team you put out and the way you tried to play. In, in fairness, the three probably would have been holding Mari and Chambers, which isn't filling you with much more no, confidence. No, no. But it does give you an extra man, doesn't it? And it seemed... Well, actually, I have a question about that next. So, uh, yeah, it seemed uh, stubborn. I don't know. I, I think it was a case of having the excuse of really being able to highlight, look how many players I've got out rather than <laughs> yeah, trying yeah. to win the game. Because even just seeing his interviews, that oh, didn't fill you with confidence pre or post game, did it? Um, so, Jack, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you here first. Um, the results of the Mari Lukaku battle yesterday was more to do with how good Lukaku is and less about how bad Mari was. Um, agree in part. I will say agree. However, it was pretty pathetic. For sure. I mean, I, I, I was, Lukaku is great and we know his strengths, which is even more of a case why it's even more pathetic in the sense that, that the goal, especially where it just falls over, it's not... Yeah. Not a good look at all. Well, that was trying to win a foul, wasn't it? Which goes back to, I guess, what we were saying with the referee. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think centre-half should not be trying to win a foul in his own box. No, no. Um, he should be trying to clear the ball first, essentially. Um, but yeah, but we know Lukaku's strengths. We know what he's good at and we know what he's been brought in to do. But that defending was pretty woeful at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I, I disagree because uh, I do think Lukaku obviously it was pretty much um, if 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 this was like WWE, you would call it like this was a showcase for him. This is good where you put him in and you put like Brock Lesnar against someone who's a no hoper and you chuck him around and do whatever you want to him to say <laughs> this is everything I can do here. And <laughs> with with Mari, I mean, I said in the week how much I dislike him. Uh, I didn't think he should have been playing although there wasn't too much choice around him and yeah I thought it was about as bad as he could have played and if you ever do go and you see someone looking at uh, kind of stats on paper and trying to say about a performance that way uh, Mari had the best stats of any defender on the pitch yesterday in terms of tackles (laughs) won passes completed uh, and all of this Um, yeah I thought it, it was atrocious and not even uh, like joking here. I mean, you, you see sometimes where a player gets battered so badly, you can quite clearly see the next week it's still in their head. I think he might need about two years off after that game. <laughs> <laughs> because there, there's a point where I think we've seen before with players where it's less about we've got a good right winger here. And I look at something like... Uh, Leeds-Liverpool is always an example I think of and it's not even an indictment on Trent but there was a quite clear thing there where the setup and everything in the changing room would quite clearly be this guy is rubbish we're going to get at him here <laughs> and that's literally the game plan and there's got to be a point in Mari's head yesterday where it's like it's not just that I'm marking Lukaku it's they're quite literally aiming at me to go through me <laughs> because it's this easy like <laughs> It's the, it's the equivalent of if I'm playing at the back at five a side 
and the first ball goes over the top, I might think, okay, they've got a quick guy in behind. The second it starts pumping along every single time, I'm thinking, they realise I'm running like a slug here. <laughs> and this is all it's about. So, yeah, I, I didn't hear a single person defending yesterday. And usually there's some freak on the timeline that will say, like, come on, he didn't have that bad a game. I, I think people wouldn't have been too dissatisfied if we were told yesterday that they were ripping his contract up. Um, yeah, Lukaku was great. I thought Mari was just worse if, if we were... Uh, <laughs> pinpointing it uh, on a scale. Um, I've got the question there we've already done about uh, Saka's penalty. Um, I can ask this to anyone. So the second half performance that Arteta referred to was more about Chelsea controlling the game than Arsenal improving. I, I mean, I, I know that I wouldn't give others a chance, but I would strongly agree with that person. Yeah, I'm, that I'm with you. If we'd have really wanted to we could have pushed on we just didn't we'd rather just see it out and bank on us nicking another one other than pushing for a third openly I think it's like in the way that it went it could have been three or four it was just an unbelievable save by Leno I was going to say that he pulled out a couple of saves that you're sort of thinking this could have looked different again if he hasn't made saves out of nowhere yeah. I, uh, I tweeted about how shit he is right as he saved that, <laughs> that one from Lukaku's <laughs> Like From a domination perspective, it, I mean, I don't want to rub it in too much, but it was kind of men against boys in a sense. I know as well. Uh, no, I mean, I, I've heard that sentence more in the last 24 hours, <laughs> I think, than ever in my lifetime. Yeah, I think... And you must have heard it a few times about that. <laughs> <laughs> You've had, I mean, you had six starters out pretty much as well, so we will give that. No, I think that's overstated as well, to be, to be honest, because when he says after the game, I think he referred to it as uh, being unprecedented, having nine th- uh, senior players out, I think he said. He, he's including the likes of William in that and Torreira. <laughs> and it's like, come on. Like, yeah, yeah. Teams, it's, it's not good. No, you don't want to go into the season. I'll give uh, well, sympathy. I don't really have any sympathy for anyone involved there, but... I'll give some credence to Gabriel and uh, uh, Ben White being out. Although, for um, as we pretty highlighted with Ben White's strengths, I think if Ben White doesn't have COVID, I, I don't think he has a fun time yesterday. Maybe not as bad as Mari, um, which actually what I was going to say before with the Lukaku thing. Uh, as bad as Mari is, I think you'll see better defenders this season suffer a suffer in a similar yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but that's not to give Mari any kind of credibility. Um, yeah, I, I thought the party one's a miss, but I, I'm not sure. It was, I think it was just a case of playing against a better team yesterday, which very few times in my life as an Arsenal fan, and there's been some dark times, I have I ever gone into games that aren't against Man City where I've completely written it off beforehand, where you're literally looking to the next one, which in this case happens to be Man City. But, <laughs> but like even if even when we're playing, say, a good United team or we're playing a good Liverpool team, there was always a part of me where yeah, yeah, yeah. the reality is gets pushed back, even for just a second, where you're like, you know what? We're the Arsenal. We, we might be able to do this today. 
I've, I've heard a lot about a good start from Arsenal. Chelsea scored after 13 minutes. I, I don't want I don't want that to be glossed over when the match reports say Arsenal started well, for example. I think it was kind of Bell is Lukaku's homecoming as well, but pretty much all media stations. And it was just kind of written for him to have the performance that he did. And maybe that even played on the Arsenal's defences minds a little bit. It's just I, I don't think many of them have a brain to be thinking too much into <laughs> these things. Um, I know we're, we're going to do um, the transfers next week, which, um, for, for reference, if things go to plan, next Tuesday will be the busiest podcast in the history of Spitballing Pod. Um, I'm talking over 10 people on throughout the duration of the show. Um, two West Ham fans, two Spurs fans, a Chelsea fan, two United fans, two Arsenal fans, two Liverpool fans. It's it's going to be a hectic one, but hopefully um, things do, do go to plan there. Hopefully we get some blockbuster transfers uh, to get into before then. Um, the, the, the point I was just going to make, and it's to do with uh, Chelsea's team, is for all that's going to be said about the, the money Arsenal has spent and things, you saw an accumulation there of kind of money well spent, or at least having enough business being done. That Chelsea bench yesterday, if Arsenal had nicked a goal somehow beforehand and you looked at their bench, that's like the kind of bench we talk about Man City having. Mm. It's mm. just like when you bring in on Kante after 75 minutes <laughs> and you've got yeah. Chilwell... Ziesh, Werner, Thiago Silva, Kante. I'm not going to highlight Hudson Odoi if anyone was wondering. And then you you compare it, and I mean, say Kalasanac was on his way out, and he was filling the space on the bench yesterday. Um, although I did get a message from Alex mid-game saying, "You know what? I do think Erdegaard you could have won this with him there." <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> um, so, so the last one, uh, pretty simple and pretty much to do with just a lot of uh, the, the reaction to the game yesterday. Uh, I'll, I'll open the, the floor here and everyone can give their answer. In the same pattern, strongly agree, agree, whatever. Arteta makes it to Christmas. Uh, is, is, anyone, is anyone strongly agreeing there? From everything that you've told us about the structure of the club, then yeah, I think he does. It's, oh, I think like he's he's now had more games than Emery, lost more games than Emery. He's lost more games at the Emirates Stadium than Wenger did in his time at Arsenal. Um, there's a point where even when you're blind, I don't know if they're drawing up the braille to put it in front of <laughs> the board there. <laughs> What's it say? Uh, Edu actually got some stick at the game yesterday and he was sat there next to um, one of the owners who is like a kiss of death when they attend games. They, they very rarely attend games and when they do, it's Arsenal-Chelsea. They were at this one and Baku. So maybe you thought we'd improved. Um, TK, uh, do you think he makes it to the end of the summer holidays? Uh, I, got two more weeks. So, what was the statement? He makes it to Christmas. <clears throat> yeah, I disagree, but I think he makes it a lot closer to Christmas than he should. Like Emery, then pretty much. Yeah, when the season's yeah, I, I, done. I, yeah, <laughs> and you do it. Yeah, I think they're gonna 
let it run, let it run. And probably, I don't know, late November, early December, realize, oh shit, we've got to get rid of this guy. By which point, like you said, you're basically done. Do you think it's to his benefit then that he almost has these injuries and he has Chelsea and Man City in, yes, in the yeah, first for sure. three games? A- absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. He's successfully probably been able to sell that to the those higher up as once we get them all fit. Because I saw, I think you may have retweeted or liked it or whatever. I saw someone say, there's always something with it. There's always, yeah. oh, but just once we wait for this to happen, then it will all come good. And as long as he can keep sort of promising tomorrow, he can just kind yeah. of ignore all the shit that's going on today. The reason we kind of thought that the business was going to be done quite early this summer was because such a big thing was made of him having a full preseason with the players. Like he yeah. said it several times last season, and we thought, okay, this is going to happen then. And there you go. I saw Aaron Ramsdale before the game yesterday. The where I was was. I was actually at the end of the two Chelsea goals. So uh, if you were and I didn't see any action yesterday, I did see that actually up close. I, I was um, going to ask, how nice for you? Uh, Rhys James giving it absolute status. <laughs> other side, <laughs> other side of the pitch. Um, ah, right. the, I, I still don't know what happened with him because I swear he looked like he had a heart attack. Uh, I, I turned around, I looked up and he was like starred on the floor, not moving. And well, yeah, and they said he wasn't. Then they say he's not. He wasn't knocked out, but it was like he looked pretty knocked out. Yeah. And then, and then when we saw him coming back on, it was like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, Jack messaged me saying it was like the Undertaker. I, I, I couldn't believe <laughs> what I was seeing. There was similar confusion on comms that he was actually going back on. Like they, they all thought it was the same thing as you that there's a, we're going to do the uh, gracious thing and not show the replay of the incident. Yeah, I feared the worst briefly. Yeah, and uh, we, we were like, what? And then he just got back up. But the players around him didn't seem too concerned. Like, they were just <laughs> no. picking up a drink and kind of having it over him. That's what made me think, oh, there's something weird going on here. <laughs> so, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Very odd. But, yeah, I was at the other side of the pitch to that. If uh, So, I, I didn't see uh, that helmet enjoying his one in three games that he gets to play. Um, <laughs> Alex, how long do you think Arteta's lasting? Uh, I think he, uh, I think he makes it to Christmas. Well, based on, ba- like, like Jack said, based on what you said with the structure of the club in terms of buying for the future, and you, you know, there has to be a future. <laughs> we have to be there. Uh, well, I know, but I mean, at this point as well, I don't think Arsenal do anything unless they've got a backup that they can bring in. And who's that backup going to be? Well, I mean, there's a lot of Arsenal fans think we can click our fingers and Conte comes in. I, I think you've got as much of a chance of signing Conte as we do. We well, did. the thing that makes me somewhat confident there is Conte was willing to hear you out. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, the thing is, yeah. the the down the down the down point was that it was he wanted he wanted to basically the back end to go and get instant success and go for it straight away. Whereas you're already in I, that project structure and you've already spent the, like the, if you were going to bring him in, you you should have brought him in before the transfer agreed. window closed and he then he gets to utilise the money how he wants because you have spent the most out of any club in Europe so yeah. far so he's probably looking at that and saying well I didn't want any of these players he probably had his, his those that purse of players that he wanted to get so I don't think he's a, he's not a manager you bring in this this season full stop the thing with money with Conte that's been built I do think is somewhat tempted because it's not like when he went into Inter he was joining a team that was splashing the cash and spending 100 million a pop. I mean, 
he brought in the likes of uh well free agents he had Ashley Young he brought in he had these kind of level of players that they were bringing in so they weren't splashing the cash the main issue he had with Inter was that they were letting the players go mm. that he'd had success with so I don't know if he was asked about Kane and I'm not saying they told him Kane going but maybe they couldn't tell him he's staying for sure I, I don't I don't I guess we'll never know that with what happened there um I, I don't think we'd get Conte for for the for the record I just think <laughs> that the, the the fact that he was prepared to hear Spurs out makes me think it wouldn't be completely off the table maybe um, you should have gone in for him when we were going in for him the, the thing is the, the board quite clearly trust Arteta and I'm conscious about staying on him too long and I do when you hear him speak in general I can understand how if you were an employer he could convince you that he's going to win you he's going to sell you the world basically yeah he's very convincing yeah and that's pretty much what's kept him in a job I think Um, so I can see from, from that side of view that Maybe if you are in charge, if you don't know football particularly well, which is an issue for the people in charge, when he's telling you all these great things about what he's going to do next season, uh, no, maybe maybe you maybe you do fall for it. But anyway, we'll get back to Spurs. So Tottenham boss Nuno Espirito Santo says, it's not my job to convince players to play as Undombele seeks an exit from North London. If we mm. go back to the 2nd of July 2019, Ndombele signed for Tottenham Hotspur in a deal worth 62 million euros plus up to 10 million in add-ons, which I think we can assume won't be paid out. Uh, Ndombele is yet to play a minute of pre-season or competitive action for Spurs. Um, What Nuno had to say in the latest press conference, he said, what happened in the past, I can't even think about. I don't mention out of respect. What I can tell you is that Tango is with us. He works, but we have to speak honestly and to take the best out of Tango, it has to come from himself. It has to come from himself. I don't want to go much further than that, but it has to come from himself. This is now the fourth manager that has struggled to uh, get the best out of him. And Daniel Levy is reportedly asking for 51 million to consider selling. Alex, I ask you this. When Barca, Madrid and Juventus of the reported interested sides, should that be a player that you're willing to let go? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Just not based solely on the fact that it's clear what like it's clearly not working with him at Spurs. So regardless of the potential that the player has, it's not working and his head is elsewhere. So it's I don't think there's a situation where we can get the best out of him now. I think that's quite evident, unfortunately. Is there a situation, not perhaps you, but do you think there's maybe a situation at Spurs where perhaps you don't want him, but you also don't want anyone else to have him? Like You don't want to see this guy go on and perhaps achieve the things that you believe he has the talent to do? Um, I, I, Yeah, I see what you're saying. Don't disagree. Um, but at the same time, it's that player that he potentially could go on to be. It's not going to be at Spurs. So... Um, you know, and in terms of fear of other teams getting him, if it was a Prem to Premier League switch, then yeah, I, I sort of see what you're saying there and I'd maybe be a bit more concerned, but I think it's if it is going to happen at all, then it'll be a, uh, a broad switch. So that's a little bit different. It's not as bad. 
Jack, if I go to you, so do, do you think with this, this is one where you struggle to get the fans back on side? Because I think I can, I can speak for all of us in that we, we would pay money for the opportunity to play for any one of our clubs for one minute on the pitch. And then you see a guy, and it's not that he has injury concerns, it's not a guy that's just in a bad patch of form. From what we're led to believe, it's a guy who can't be bothered to train properly. It's a guy who can't be bothered to put everything in. Is that one where once the manager has to come out and essentially say, this is why he's not playing, there's not much you can do to come back from that? Uh, Jack, are you there? Yeah, what the hell? Sorry, I, wondered I, if, I, I wondered if I'd cut out for a sec. I, I, was, quiet. <laughs> I was pleased with how I delivered that. And that yeah. we've got this bit. <laughs> it's, it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. If Jack asked me to repeat it now. Yeah, Go on, Jack. Jack, what do you think? I, I caught the majority of it. Just ask me the okay, question. Okay, so once, once it's come out that a guy essentially, from what we're led to believe, the issue is that he can't be bothered to train. He, he, he can't be bothered to put the effort in to get himself fit and to be ready to play for the club. But you knowingly support the club that you love. It's hard to come back from that in the eyes of the fans. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, not to go back to Chelsea, but you saw the passion from Shalaba last last week, Lukaku when he scored his first goal and then Reece James again. I think you can't get back on side with a player that's willingly to kind of flout. You're not going to support someone that doesn't support, especially when they hold it so sacred. So I think his days and not even numbered, but just not there anymore. Yeah. They're gone. TK, I imagine you must have seen players at Liverpool over the years where you look at them and you are essentially saying you you don't even care here. You you, you don't you you're not too fussed whether we win, whether we lose, no matter what's happening. And is it just best for everyone that you get rid of that stage? For sure, but they're in a they're in a tricky spot now where if they want fifty one million pounds for them, yeah. I don't see that anyone's going to take that risk. They're going to go, well, you can be asked to train here. Yeah. Why am I going to cough up this amount of money? Uh, and so this is the predicament they're in, that a guy's got an abundance of talent and could definitely come back to haunt them because he's good enough to do so. Yeah. But they aren't going to be able to shift him, I don't think. I don't, I don't see that anyone's going to cough up that money. Now... Jack's probably looking at this thinking, what this guy needs is four different loan spells and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens um, but I imagine Spurs don't want I imagine you want him out the the extra tricky thing is that for a player like him you kind of always had a few players like him whereby uh, they were a luxury but yeah. the way football's played now you can't really have a luxury player and I don't think Spurs can under Nuno I don't think he's the type of manager that will have that and I don't see you know looking out on the landscape that there's any top team that you can afford to, to get away with that City would probably be a push and even there you can't so he's in a sort of no man's land now where he's obviously very gifted, but you just don't really see where he fits anywhere. There's no point having a luxury that you, you don't get to have the luxury of, do you? It's like no. having it's like having the money to buy a nice expensive car and just leaving it in the garage. Yeah, exactly. And if you can't get his fitness right, then he can't play. And even when he has, it hasn't been that he's played so well that he's set in the place of light. This was kind of the thing that came to mark, I was about to say, the end of Ozil, quite a decent chunk in the second half of Ozil's time at Arsenal, I guess, where there was kind of this perception that, well, he's obviously great, but we're going to have to sort of manage it. But he wasn't kind of showing that great enough to, no. the, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. And that's exactly the same with Ndombele. A few 
sort of fancy uh, flicks and tricks here and there is, is not going to be enough for Spurs to be able to put up with this. And Alex, I wonder if this is something that I might find uh, having with our players next season. And do you think the fact that you, you saw the Undombele issues publicised on this Amazon Prime documentary that you had where Jose was commenting on his attitude there, it's, I mean, it came out in the press that Jose literally broke lockdown to do laps in the park with Ndombele. <laughs> they, they put his fitness down that badly. And for some players, we have it where it's murmurs and you have these things in it and a club can take a punt because they think either it's exaggerated or we're the guys that can turn this around. But when it's been kind of laid out so plainly for you to see there, is that then even harder to convince someone to come and stump the money up? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. Even just from a like a sort of a negotiation standpoint, it doesn't doesn't bode well. Um, I mean, it's whether you it's whether you're in the camp if you put it down to like this player's got it all. He's just got a he just hated it at Tottenham. Um, yeah, it doesn't help. It doesn't help from a selling perspective. I, I I would be surprised. I would be surprised if we got if we got thirty million for him. I, I genuinely would. The latest rumours were that you Bayern Munich offered twenty million plus a quarantine Talisa, which is a horrific deal even for a player that you don't want to keep. I mean, this is a guy who's as crocked as anything, has a year left on his deal. It just doesn't make sense. Um, what's interesting, I think, is that for all the supposed interest that is going to be out there for a player like this, other than the Bayern one, the interest doesn't seem to go past a loan where I guess if you're someone like Real Madrid or Barca, you think if you can't get motivated to play for us, then there's no hope for you. And you perhaps bank on being able to get the ability out of them. And if it's on a loan, a relatively risk-free price, but for Madrid to are looking down the back of the sofa trying to get Mbappe, Barca is as well-publicised as anything. Juventus, I mean, they've just bought Locatelli and they've had to do pay for that two years down the line because they're that skinned. You, you can't see any of these stumping up, can you? No, no, I can't. Um, yeah, it's a tricky situation, to be honest. I mean, I'd, I'd bite anybody's hand off that offered us anything above 20 million, to be honest with, considering the situation we're in. That could be money that could be spent elsewhere at quite an important time. So, so he's, uh, he's the second highest paid player in that Spurs squad. Kane is on uh, just over 200,000 and uh, Ndombele is on roughly 200,000. Do you think down the line you're maybe going to be just encouraging someone that's just going to cover as much of his wages as possible? Because it seems Nuno isn't prepared to put up with him. And from what we know about his management and his style, he's not someone that's going to take you kind of half-ass in it. And you probably don't want that then around the squad. That It's probably even worse than someone kicking up a storm is someone being whingy and sulky around the place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's as you said, really. Uh, I I feel pretty defeated with the situation with him. Incredibly disappointing. Um, but I think you need to get him out of the squad. You need to get him away from the players because for what it's, it's what he's whingy about, whether it's the lack of, you know, prospects, whether it's the, you know, the feel like the club's not going anywhere. You don't want that attitude around the club and you certainly don't want it so other players think they can get away with it as well. With respect, you're not in too much of a different 
situation than you were when you signed him. So unless he was expecting things to just be kind of magic overnight, I mean, he's, he's got to take some blame for that. And it's all well and good sulking if you're on the pitch and you can maybe point at someone and, and I'm just using the example. If he's playing well on the pitch and he can look at the back and go, I'm doing all this and Eric Dyer's fumbling at the back and it's going in the net. If you're not even getting yourself in a position to be on the pitch, I, I don't think you're really in a position to complain about the position the club's in, are you? No, no, definitely not. But, but you do, know, you think, do you think he's still at the Tottenham training ground when the deadline passes? Hopefully not. Uh, but I think he is still there. I don't think anybody coughs up for him. What do you think, TK? You there, TK? Sorry, just Carl. What did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think Ndombele is still there after the deadline? Yeah, I've, I, I think this is similar to... It's like a low-level version of Coutinho at Barca where they're going to end up having to just get him out any which way they can and will probably end up in a loan. It's just a case of if they can get him out this window or the next one. I think that's how it ultimately ends up with him on loan somewhere. Um, I think because Nuno does seem determined on this, I think they potentially might ship him out on loan any which way they can. I think they'll get it rid, actually. I think you might need someone at Spurs to be alongside Levy with maybe a straight head on their shoulders because across the next week, I think some horrific offers are going to be landing in his inbox that are perhaps going to look a bit sweeter than they are. And I'm talking the likes of, well, you know what, maybe they're on similar wages. We'll swap Coutinho for Ndombele. No fees involved. You take him off our hands, we'll take him off your hands. And I think you'll see Bayern Munich doing that. I think you'll see Juventus doing that. And you may even see Madrid doing that. I think you're going to see a couple of these where perhaps... Would that be a horrific horrific deal? I don't don't think that would be a horrific deal. I I think... the wages are going to be involved there. And I don't think you need a 29-year-old Coutinho who is at least going to want a three-year deal. I think there's a reason that some of these clubs are going to be trying to get rid of them. And I think you take any cash you can rather than some of these. I think some of them are going to look like that when they when they look too good to be true, they, they probably are. Mm-hmm. Now, if they offer you a, a talented young player, then... Perhaps so I've seen Spurs link with um, Eli Mariba, who's going to be out of contract at Barcelona. I don't know how that would work with them balancing the books, but something like that makes a lot more sense than I think if, if they offer you an injury-prone 29-year-old Coutinho, you perhaps look at why no one else is taking him first. That being said, if Coutinho arrives at Arsenal next week, I'll be excited just as the famous Spurs fans would be excited. I just think <laughs> exactly. uh, that's why we're not in the position where we accept the offers and we, we tick the boxes and so on. Mm. Um, now, if we go down then, so we often focus on probably the same six to eight teams. We're going to look at the other end of the table this week. I did look to bring in either Evo or Rubes. I think both were somewhat offended that I just consider them to be relegation specialists. But <laughs> um, Evo said he is uh, he's ill. He, he, he's got a vile cold or Rona. I don't know if he's got the test or we'll uh, wish him the best there. Um, Rubes is, is playing football, which uh, priorities are a bit wrong there. But anyway, there's been some outrage from uh, a, a section that TalkSport did yesterday. So they've got their wish. Uh, they were speaking about Norwich and the fact that they're cheating the system. They go up and down, they take these parachute payments and 
after two games against two of the best sides in Europe, uh, they've essentially declared Norwich relegated. Um, <laughs> Jamie O'Hara, if uh, you ever wanted to pay attention to anything that clown says, um, says that they should the Premier League should revoke Norwich City's membership. <laughs> There's just, there's just a number of things. I've, I've even forgot the, the name of the main bloke that's been uh, getting all the flack for this. Uh, I don't know if yeah, you know. Alice Crook, was. I think it was. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I'd cook in my head. So uh, um, they quoted Stuart Webber, their director of football, who once said that Norwich's goal was to be a top 26 club in England. Um <laughs> Just to just to kind of level things out before um, I get everyone's opinion. So people at Norwich say the club was in such a dire financial situation that selling James Madison, the money they got from that, essentially saved them from administration. Um, I guess, and I'll go to you first, TK. Since then, they've sold Emmy Buendia, Jamal Lewis, Ben Godfrey, should we be looking at them as a team that have notably improved then since then? We look at, so that's kind of the Leicester model, isn't it? If you want to pay for our players, we won't stand in their way. We're going to replace them with two better. And then if you want them, we'll sell them and we'll replace them with two better. Do you think there's anything wrong with what Norwich are doing with, with the yo-yoing around? It's not as simple as just saying, all right, well, let someone else have a go. No, and it's not like they're coming up and, you know, they don't want to, stay up is it you know it's the way it talks about framed it is a little bit like they just accept relegation from the jump but they, i don't think that that's the case i think off the field i think their run as a club probably should be um yeah cutting the cloth as people say and buzzing the books right and like they kind of got the first half of the leicester equation down haven't they it's just like you said the replacement isn't quite yeah uh, as effective but they are a smaller stature club so i kind of get that and, and they have less money bankrolling them and my issue is probably more the on the field, they just don't ever seem to learn the lesson. If you look at that first game against Liverpool, it was pretty much no difference to the one two years ago. Exactly, which we did, a, we did a segment on ago. after that game about whether we admired it or not. Yeah, and, and, and there was at that point widespread admiration that they had a bit of a go and they had a couple of chances, basically. In this one, it wasn't really even that much the case. So, you kind of think, well, they come up each year, they try and sort of stroke it around and play good football, which to one extent is admirable, but also if it's got you relegated several times before, maybe try and change it up. The, the one year, the one bit of time that they did have some success, there's no coincidence that it was lumping it up to Grant Holt that got them a little bit more success. <laughs> so there's, I, I'm not saying it has to be, you know, um, a straight choice, but there has to be, I do think, some recognition, particularly when you've got the same manager in Farker, where you've got to learn the lessons from the last time you went down. And I know it's, it's, a brutal first two games for them but it looks like they're kind of coming up with the same mentality again yeah I know how they feel um, so this season so far they've brought in Angus Gunn which they were criticised for bringing in a Premier League keeper as a backup doesn't seem too bad to me uh, they've brought in Pierre Lise Melou um, I can't attest to have seen anything of him at Nice previously uh, Dimitrios Chanoulis uh, for 7 million from uh, Panathinaikos Ben Gibson for 8.37 million. Uh, still Burnley's record signing, by the way, but also one of the worst in their history. Um, Josh Sargent, they brought in from uh, Word of Bremen for uh, 8.55 million. Uh, Christian Solis uh, for 9.9 million on the left wing, who's meant to be one to watch. And uh, Milo Rashica 
for 9.9 million, who people were saying was a good deal when Villa were linked with him six months ago. So it's not that they haven't gone for it. I mean, they're currently minus 20 million. So they spent they spent 20 million more than they brought in so far this summer. Um, I think their net, the, the last time they came up, was they were 1 million in profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're doing things a bit. They've brought in Billy Gilmore and Brandon Williams on loan. Is is, is this not them acting within their means? It? It's not like without overpaying, which I guess is the point they're trying to make that they aren't prepared to do. They aren't going to be able to bring in much better than what they have. They're fishing in the, the, the sorry. The funny thing with it is, isn't it, is that if they'd spent the same amount of money but on two players and people that we knew, people would say, oh, that's a real show of ambition from Norwich. Yeah. So it's, it's just a case of, of how you look at it. And it often seems to be the way with some of these lower teams who kind of low-key spend some money without you kind of realising it. You know, when Bournemouth, they spend a little bit of cash. Like when Brighton have spent a little bit of money over the years and people kind of don't give it quite the, the notice that it maybe deserves because... They're not the names. And I guess that a club like Norwich lives and dies on. A lot of those players you name there are, like you said, ones which gambles. They, they could be one to watch or they could be total flops. It's, and they'll kind of yeah. live and die on how successful those gambles are. People still say that Wolves do good business and they probably get one in three right, which is fair enough if the ones you do get right are then Neto and Podence and so on, which kind of overshadows the William Jose's and so on that, that they get yeah. wrong. Yeah. So, Jack, um, as a football purist, uh, when you look at the way Norwich play, and it is a bit hard this season when you do look at the games they've had, but they aren't prepared to get 10 men beyond the ball and just have someone staying up top. They do try to play a bit. Do you hold that against them? Do you think you maybe you've got to learn your lesson? Or is it, while you're up here, you give it a go? I don't know. I mean, you've got to look at it and they do exactly the same thing as what Leeds get praised for every week. So they stick to their principles, they stick to their game plan. If it works one week, it might not work the other. And Leeds get praised for it, but they don't. I, think I guess the argument would be Leeds win more games. There is that argument, yeah, but I would say that... It seems a pretty significant one. <laughs> yeah, when you've just come and just been promoted in your first game to City and Liverpool, uh, what else are you supposed to do? Was anyone expecting them to win those games? So why didn't they just try and go? Yeah, I'm, I'm all for what, it. They've kept us off the bottom of the table so far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you look at it and you think that being able to play like that is not going to help them against the big teams, no. But they they might lose 1-0 if they stick everyone behind the ball. They might lose 4-0 if they don't. Where, where that will come into play is when they play teams in and around them. That's when... Those are the games you need to be judging them on. Well, you're probably you're probably the person to ask this then. So, um, <laughs> when you when you look at the way they play football now, Billy Gilmore seems to be held up at Chelsea as like he he's the guy of all our prospects. He's the one that you're holding aloft. You've got the highest hopes for. If Norwich don't play the way they do, and perhaps you've got Big Sam at West Brom as you had last season, do you think you loan Gilmore? to a team that's going to play like that? Or do you think the appeal of the way Norwich do play is perhaps why Chelsea chose to send him there? Because I can't imagine he was short of offers. 
Yeah, no, I think 100%. They want him to play pretty much every game with Norwich, he will. And they want him to play a certain brand of football because when he gets to Chelsea, he's going to have to play that way anyway at a higher level. Now, it's good, it's quite comparable, actually, that when you bring Big Sam at West Brom in, because Conor Gallagher was obviously on loan at West Brom last season, who is another yeah. one of our prospects, who, who was held just below Billy Gilmore in the esteem levels at Chelsea. And everyone just kind of... What is the point in sending him there when they're just sat behind the ball the whole time? He's getting absolutely no experience. And he's just running around trying to put out fires, essentially, for 90 minutes every day. And I think they were very selective and they saw the way that Norwich played and know that they're going to try and play with the ball. And if he... But is this not like a the perfect advert for what they're doing? It's great and admirable, but ultimately you're essentially saying they're our feeder club he can get a nice good bit of experience with them. They'll go down, but ah oh, well, they'll be good fun to watch for us because we don't care what happens to them. Yeah, that's why and I said like they go down and they get some good football. It's it's kind of it's great for us. Yeah. But if you when, were if you were at Norwich, you'd probably think, yeah, are we gonna have a go at this, or we're we just gonna try and play some nice games and, and lose. The thing is though, the benefit for Norwich is you get a really good standard midfielder for, for their level. I, I mean I don't think Norwich should base their brand of playing on the fact that they can get Billy Gilmore on loan. But <laughs> no. It's like when we spoke to Rubes and Evo separately and we spoke to them about all right you brought Big Sam in I guess this are you happy with that he sh- supposedly gives you the best chance of staying up and they seemed having been a club that's probably similar in the in the way they yo-yo a lot well not particularly because now it's just going to be vile football to watch for the rest of the season and I guess it's easy for us to say and I'm guilty of it the, the last uh, couple of years myself where you perhaps think that you're uh to the right word um, you feel like you kind of deserve your owed a certain brand of football and if it goes you deserve to get the results that way maybe the, the fans of these lower clubs do feel like they would rather have an entertaining day out watching good football than come up and try and stay up clinging on every single game getting 11 men beyond the ball and pumping up to Puku. I, I do definitely get that and I think but but the problem with Norwich is, and, and look, like we said, rough two first games, so this could still work out to be the case. But the problem with Norwich is, is it's not like they're even like coming close in the last few times they've done it. Whereas, you know, a team like Brighton would be a good example, where under Chris Hewton, they just about survived each year. It wasn't great to watch. Yeah. Um, and they took a gamble and went for Potter. Now, they are staying up, hopefully, because I do like quite watching them. And it, it yeah. seems like he's been able to create something there. So you you kind of got that to follow, but those are few and far between. So so far at Norwich, we haven't seen that they got the capacity to do that. Uh-huh. I, I guess why I guess other sort of teams of uh, teams that come up probably look at someone like Swansea, and we forget sort of the run that they run that they were coming up and playing teams off the park at times with possession based football. So I guess teams probably look at it and think, well, they didn't have the the finances to do this. Maybe this is what we can do. I just think at some point during a season when it becomes clear that, okay, we're not that team, you've got to be able to sort of change it up to give yourself a fighting chance of staying in the league. Well, so they pretty much came out at the start of the summer and I guess it was the purpose. They knew what business they wanted to get done. They probably knew they had to bring some money in. Um, they said when there was interest in Wendia from reportedly us and Villa, obviously, and interest in Cantwell from the same clubs, Look, it's going to take an offer of more than 30 million to do it, which is quite unheard of for you to come out for your best players and say, basically, this is Maybe the price. price. Yeah, yeah. Um, it 
reminds me when I look at Max Aaron's of when I was at the company that rhymes with Wapita, um, and I would see everyone hand their notice in, and essentially they would say, "Look, I've got to start this other job in a week. I've got to start this in a week and a half, two weeks," and they would just be let go. And I remember I handed mine in, and race week was coming up, my birthday as well, and I thought, "I'll be noticing. I'll do." a fortnight and then they'll let me go and I'll have a week at the races, a week to just enjoy myself and then I'll start the new job. Handed it in and I remember them, you're not. And they told me I wouldn't be getting paid if I didn't work my full notice because there was something <laughs> they could do. And Max Aarons, he must look at all the players they've let go. They rejected two bids for him from Barcelona and they rejected an inquiry from Bayern Munich. I'll <laughs> be thinking, what have I done to, to, to deserve this? Because <laughs> he's still there all the while. And you look at the way uh, Ramsdale has, has had it shoved in his face. <laughs> He's going to be told when the next team comes in for him, hang on a minute, you've been relegated twice. What have we won you? <laughs> He's got to be looking this season and thinking, what's, what's going on here? <laughs> I think for him and Campwell, have a good year this season individually and you can write your ticket next year, can't you? Whether they stay up or not, you can probably get yourself a big move. Yeah, don't rule out Villa coming back in for Campbell, I don't think. Seems to be the uh, word on the uh, interweb. Um, yeah, good move. Yeah, I mean, you, you remember last time he was in the Prem, I was saying, get him to uh, the World Cup. <laughs> you were. Uh, not not great campaigns. I did try one for Andros Townsend as well in 2014, <laughs> which was also unsuccessful. Um, no, I've got to say, we have had some great news, and it does look like William is off. Free transfer, can't complain about that. Sending him to Corinthians, not the little uh, power pods. How is that a free transfer when he's got two years left on his deal? I don't we, know. We'll just just say, well, they put an offer in for Get him, z- zero pounds, and we say yeah, we accept the deal. <laughs> no Get his way. wages off the books. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we're not subsidising some of his wages, but as I said yesterday, I almost well, I laughed when I went on Instagram and I saw. Chelsea post it's a victory at the Emirates liked by William Borges <laughs> I admire this because <laughs> the, the, the sheer nerve of you doing this like we don't want you here you know we don't want you here he owes us nothing we, we owe him nothing just just go out just go out the, the villain here like, people aren't going to be pleasant to you when you leave anyway you may as well make the most of it um so there we go. I mean, it wasn't quite Torreira a theme park as we were losing to Brentford. Um, Alex, do you have any thoughts on uh, Norwich before we carry on? Do you think they're right to play the way they do? Or do you think perhaps they should either get a new manager in or someone in charge should be saying, look, we want to take this a bit more seriously this year. Can you, uh, we don't care how you play, we want results. And maybe tell him if we're in a certain place at a certain time of the season, your job's at risk. I don't know how they do it in these circumstances but do you think there should be more pressure to stay at this time rather than be going up and down um no i don't really have too much more to add i mean it's a curse in itself in terms of they're limiting themselves to maybe what they they could potentially be as far-fetched as that may sound to some people so you know sometimes the leagues need clubs like that i guess to you know it is what it is I was stuck in a precarious situation yesterday, TK, when I see uh, Jake Humphrey's beef in Talksport. I thought I don't like. I mean, we spoke <laughs> we spoke in our group chat earlier about one of the hardest questions we had to ask, which actually didn't make it to the podcast. Um, 
Oh, and that put me in a and that put me in a similar situation there. Now I'm back in. Uh, I, I don't know if it's something you can explain better, TK, but like I saw other championship clubs in the comments saying that the reason why they feel it's unfair is the fact that they come up and down means there's only a certain level of competitiveness to the championship because they're always going to have a head start on the other teams. And I think they were being facetious on Talksport, but they said they were looking at players like you've bought in for the championship next season already. Yeah. I I don't quite understand the whole, uh, is it essentially just you, you go down and you, get a lump sum basically to make sure you don't go bust from you get a parachute go payment in the just for going down yeah um if you get one the following year even if you don't go up as well and then afterwards it stops so you, they're obviously making money but at the same time they've they have earned the promotion you know you, you have to have that first promotion to be able to get get to the prem and then go down so even is, if they are the, maneuvering this it's, is the basis of it though essentially if you want to give it a go then this is to kind of be your backup so is it the encouragement there to spend once you get there or is it just the the marketing and things you lose and all of that the original thing was to protect the clubs because obviously they're going to get more money from the prem going down as a significant drop but also i think there was a thing that with players wages that you just you'd have you'd be stuck with these players that you couldn't get rid of and and as a club you'd, you'd be in big trouble whereas i'm not i'm not entirely sure that the parachute payment model probably isn't a bit outdated now because of how things have run. I think it might be slightly different. Um, well, isn't it probably 40 at, million, isn't it? They probably should look at adapting it in, in truth. But I don't think it's quite as um, sort of insidious as it's being made out that Norwich are trying to do this. I think they are... No, they're not sat think, looking at their bank balance like that 40 million is coming through any 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 day now. We put it in our savings and we're never yeah. letting it out. And, and I think, um, let's face it, then everyone will be throwing... If they went out and spent crazy money somehow, you know, yeah. everyone would be like, well, what are they doing living out of their means? It's their own fault that they've gone bust or whatever. Yeah. So, you, you know, you, you can only criticise the club so much. Yeah. Um, so that pretty much does that there. Unless Jack or Alex have much to say about Manny Pacquiao, then we can call that a day there. Do either of you have much to say on... Uh, no, nope. the Philippines. Okay. No, I can't uh, do. Well, I will say, uh, Jack, if you remember for next week, uh, Tuesday, the podcast will be recorded. So Tuesday night, it will be out for our uh, football pod. Hoping to have something on the feed uh, on Monday night as usual, as we're going to try and test things out to see if we can get some done in person again. So uh, maybe a week of two podcasts next, uh, three podcasts next week, if all goes to plan because next week is also the semi-finals and final of Movie Madness Season 3. Do you want me to ask you the questions, Alex, for the quarterfinals we've got, and you give me rapid-fire answers? Yeah, go on. All right, one second. All right, it is Back to the Future versus Skyfall. Back to the Future. Lord of the Rings Return of the King versus Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Lord of the Rings. Saving Private Ryan versus The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. And finally, Avengers Infinity War versus 1917. Infinity War. Okay. As always, tune into Movie Madness this Friday where we will confirm the winners of those matchups and our semi finalists. But until then, we bid two of you a farewell, and me and TK will uh, close the show.
Cheers. Adios. Yeah, boys. Yeah, boys. All right, TK. So, uh, I mean, this perhaps isn't going to be the most in-depth uh, go-through of Manny Pacquiao's career that you're going to hear on any podcast this week, but uh, kind of just a space for us to maybe share our favourite memories of uh, Pacquiao and uh, what he's meant to us watching his career unfold. So, if I start with... What's your favourite Pacquiao performance? Favourite one? Oh, it, the tricky thing with him is, is um, I think some of his best ones are coming against some of my fa- favourite fighters. So it's a, yeah. it's a very tricky... Because if, if you're looking for him at his best, I do think that performance over Costa was unbelievable. That's, that's my favourite. And the uh, and obviously the performance over Hatton was just devastating. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if I'm, if I'm going to get slightly different, uh, I'll... Potentially, I mean, the beat Danny puts on Margarito is enjoyable because we all we all hate Margarito. Yeah. Uh, probably his big coming out moment really was probably when he stuck on De La Hoya. And I know people yeah. say De La Hoya was old, but that was probably... I remember the build-up to that being that De La Hoya was obviously well-established, a little bit older, but so much bigger than him as well. And Paco came out and did what he did. I'd say maybe I'll go with that one. Yeah, mine, mine was the Cotto one that you mentioned. Mainly, it, it, it reminds me of when... I really got into boxing of my own accord rather than it being my dad saying, watch this fight or my uncle yeah. telling me about the same Mike Tyson fights or Ali. Or whatever. <laughs> and I, I remember, um, sounds like I'm saying it like it's like I was in like the, the, the dark ages, but I remember not having uh, Sky Sports and mine and my dad had it. And I used to stay at his on a Saturday night and sleep and then have the alarm set for when it would start to so sleep on the sofa, wake up and, I remember waking up to watch uh, Pacquiao Cotto because doing it when I was younger, you, you'd plan to stay up and almost always fall asleep and I'd have to <laughs> yeah. watch it on uh, record the following morning. But those days of uh, Mayweather and Pacquiao on early on Sky Sports, that's the one that always stands out to me. And it's the first time I remember almost being a bit squeamish, like, you could do a stop in this one now. Like we, we don't need to see this anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. Cotto was just a guy I think I got into on YouTube, um, just seeing his fights there. And he had a great highlight, highlight reel. And seeing the beating that he put on him, I think from there's maybe a competitive moment in the second round. And then from there onwards, it was just a masterclass, essentially. It was like every ounce of his talent was just able to be displayed that night and Cotter was obviously a guy you could look good against by the way his face swelled up and the way he would cut and all these things so that's that's the one that stands out to me because as you said much of the ones are probably against ones where I would have been cheering against him and the the thing with the Cotter one was that it's you know how good Cotter is you know that he's world class yeah. so it, you saw such a clearly defined difference between elite and world class and when that happens, that's always eye-opening. Same with, well, you know, in a different way, how Floyd did with different fighters as well. Well, that's what I was going to point to, because there was something about, and it feels strange, the enjoyment of them not fighting. And each time one of them fought, there was kind of spoken about in the media that the idea that one of them would be going out of their way to try and better the other one's performances, whether it was against the same opponent or not. And Pacquiao very much looked like a guy who would go out there to try and put on a show and get these things done. And it's why when it came time to have me with a Pacquiao, so many people that 
didn't typically watch boxing Wahao Pacquiao because they've just seen these things, they've seen the knockouts, they've seen all of this in, I guess, he's as close to a fan favourite fighter as I can remember seeing in all our time watching boxing. It's, it's hard to find people that actively dislike him, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the the thing about the thing with him and Floyd, you, you are right. There was something about the fact that they can't get these guys together kind of kept you tuned in. I think yeah. they were both still taking on sort of the best of the rest. Yeah. There was still enough competition you could watch, but you were getting more and more frustrated that why aren't these guys fighting each other? Because on that run of De La Hoya, Hatton, Cotter, Marguerite, or whatever, yeah. you were looking at Packer, and you, at that point, I think you could make a genuine 50-50 case of this fight, that his hands were so quick and he was so powerful that you thought, well, look, as great as Floyd is, maybe he can work him out. And vice versa, Floyd's so good that look, maybe he's the only one who can stop Pacquiao. By the time that fight does come about, as much as it's bigger because of social media and all, all those things and the all the numbers will, will be great for them. We knew Pacquiao wasn't quite the same. As much as good as he still was, he still wasn't quite what he was on that run. Every box kind of has that yeah. tear, whether at their peak. And I think he was a little bit diminished by then. And as a result, as you said, whilst everybody in the wider world is focused on watching this fight, as people who watch this sport, maybe a little bit more regularly, you're not quite as hyped as you would have been had it got made at that sort of time period, that sort of 08 sort of time period, 08, 09 sort of period. I think Floyd did more press than Manny this week. <laughs> yeah, I saw him do an interview with Fat Joe, and you can see his face go when uh, Fat Joe says, I mean, I guess, and I'm not saying it's anyone's fault in particular, people do always say, like, you two had fought each other in your primes, and Floyd looks just fuming, and he's like, <laughs> I don't understand why people always say this. He's like, I'm two years older than him. <laughs> like, I don't know why this is this is a thing, and I mean, not to make this a Floyd Mayweather uh, segment, but he came out after, didn't he? He said, I knew this was always going to be the way people were going to talk about the fight afterwards. Um, do you think when you look at that then, and we were just saying about the enjoyment of seeing them, when you compare that to Errol Spence and Crawford now, who you'd say are the two that are on a collision course uh, if they ever get there, and it feels strange after Ugas is the one that's beat Pacquiao this weekend. It felt a bit different, didn't it, seeing your fight. You're not taking him, but you are facing Cotto or you are facing Marquez or you're facing someone like that. It does seem a bit different to you're facing Sean Porter or you're facing Furman or so on and so on. Yeah, as great as the weight division is, and it, and it basically always is, um, they don't. Have, I mean, those are Hall of Famers we're talking about that Floyd and, yeah. and Manny were taking on, which Spence and Crawford don't really have those alternatives. You know, the, the fights they're talking about don't get the juices flowing in any, any such way. So it does feel you've got all of the frustration of the, the Mayweather Pacquiao fight not being made, plus the fact that what we're being served up instead isn't that captivating either. So I, I think, unfortunately for them, they've got no rights to go but each other. And it does still seem like the politics of it might still stop it from happening anyway. So they're, they're both in a state of purgatory. Um, the fights weren't particularly entertaining as far as his career went, but the wins over uh, Timothy Bradley are probably going to be ones that age very well for people in years and years in the future, looking back at Pacquiao's career. Because you look at a Timothy Bradley fight on YouTube, and if you look at... Um, the 
Provodnikov fight, or if you look at uh, the one man, what Marcus fight, like he he looks, and he obviously is a hall, has a Hall of Fame career, but Pacquiao's wins over him are going to look better than even perhaps we consider them to be now. Yeah, you're probably right. I think um, I actually think these last couple of fights, not obviously not the one just gone, but these last couple of fights against the like of like sort of Broner and, and Furman, I think where he, bearing in mind we all knew he wasn't at his peak or whatever. But he just looks so much better than that, particularly the Furman one, I think. The Furman uh, one, yeah. I think it's a, it's a great win when you look at... Furman's undefeated at this point. He can punch, he can box, and just looks so outclassed by Pacquiao throughout the whole thing, even though we knew he was diminished. It wasn't quite what he once was. I think that's a, I think that's one that really, really will age well. And it's, it's funny, you know, you've got to do it because he's 42 and he's had so many fights that you've got to assume this is if not the end, very, very close to the end. But we have having similar conversations when he lost to Jeff Horn. And then he comes yeah. out and does, and then he beats Matisse, say, Broner and Furman. So I, I'm he, not as fully involved on the idea that he's completely done, but you have to assume at some point. That, that Matisse one was, that's because we kind of thought this might be the perfect one to get an old Pacquiao kind of barn burner and then he just comes out and batters him, basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Furman one, I'm pretty sure I've seen a kind of montage on YouTube before of people when they get hit with that first left hand by him and they're like, what the fuck has just hit me there? The speed and the way he's covered the distance there and even maybe the deceptive power that they weren't expecting. Yeah, it, it was visible with um, Furman as well, wasn't it? Yeah, um, well, he went, yeah. he went down in the first, didn't he? Yeah, did he, have a, did he get hurt with a body shot in that as well? Yeah, he, he looked like for about six rounds that he was definitely going to get stopped and then he yeah. kind of did Stopped enough to make it respectable. I think that's what, one thing he has shown in this this sort of latter stage of his career. The the versatility that he's got and the skills that he's got as well as, uh, let's face it, when he was on that run, people were questioning how he was able to take on these yeah. bigger men and show this power. If we were to suggest something was inspiring that and at some point yeah. that has stopped um in which case we've seen just the skill set he's got, where he doesn't have necessarily, he isn't wiping these guys out, but he's breaking all of these guys down each yeah. time, which belies, I think, the common misconception that essentially he's quick, got a good left hand, and will come in and bombs away. He's got so much more to his game than that. Is there a, is there a chance he uh, says, right, Paulie, the amount you've been talking shit about me through the years, I'll give you your money fight. I want to go out on a win. You get in there with me. Yeah, I'll tell you what, he he should do that, actually, shouldn't he? Um, or, or the, somehow McGregor's still making the call-outs. <laughs> McGregor said probably... he wants a commission on the pay-per-views for the week. Outrageous, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, people probably would still buy Pacquiao and McGregor, so he, he could do that as well if he, what, if I mean, he wants to go out on, on a we win. We both would, if we're honest. <laughs> Yes, it's enough of a freak show that would be involved, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, the the fights that he's lost, unfortunately, when I think of Pacquiao, I don't think of Hatton or I don't think of Cotto. I, I do think of him face down against Manuel, Manuel Marquez. Um, mainly because I just don't think I've ever seen a knockout like it. Like It's a violent sport that felt violent. That felt like capital V, like violent. That that was so rough. I mean, that was that is one where you think that guy could be dead. 
Yeah. For sure, because it's just, like you said, the nature of it, the face down. So rarely you get like a face down like that. Uh, incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. I remember streaming it in, in the early hours and thank goodness um, I wasn't scrolling through Twitter or something, which would always catch you now if you're streaming. Even without thinking, just go on the timeline and someone's going to have posted an update. Obviously, that would have erupted. But I remember just the complete shock of that happening. I struggled to think of like a feeling like it. Because as much as Pacquiao has lost before, I think he's one of them where it's it's still Pacquiao. Like him, he went out kind of, feels harsh to say he went out with a whimper because of the position he was in in his career. But that that you I can't I couldn't even after seeing it then I couldn't picture again that happening to Pacquiao even when he was getting in the firm and like, I struggled to see him face down like that and maybe it would have happened with Spence we'll never know um, yeah I don't think it would have been pretty no but that that was vicious yeah and that is really I think where the that era of Pacquiao comes to an end. I mean, full credit to how he came back from that and how he looked great so far because a lot of fighters are never the same after a knockout like no. that, are they? Um, but if you look at, before that, he just lost to Timothy Bradley in like an absolute shocker of a decision. Yeah. Which takes a bit of the shine. Of, we know Pacquiao's lost, but no one has actually seen him lose because that was well yeah. very early on in his career. So the Floyd fight is building and building and building. And in the general public mind's eye, it's almost two unbeaten fighters. The pack, uh, the Bradley loss, you can say he's lost, but you, I take some of the shine off, but you can, you yeah. can say, look, boxing robbery. At that point, getting wiped out by Marquez is kind of, okay, where does he go from here? And this Floyd fight is dead. Now, obviously, he rebuilds and they get it, but I thought that was part of that, the drama of that knockout, which partly obviously the timing right at the end of the round. Yeah. But also that was kind of like, okay, we've, we probably will never see this Floyd fight. Well, he, he bastarded it, didn't he? He was like, and this is the guy you ever thought could beat me. Ha ha. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and oh, as we referenced on here before, I've, I've never quite had confusion like falling asleep as Pacquiao versus Jeff Horn starts and waking up <laughs> and seeing Jeff Horn with the belts. Um, <laughs> in the belt. It might help that Jeff Horn went on to be what he is because people do just kind of, we'll just pretend that didn't happen. <laughs> It, it was. It has kind of just been treated like a bad day at the office, and uh, yeah, well, people, people now start calling it a robbery, and it definitely wasn't that. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, wouldn't have argued too much either way, but uh, that is. I'll tell you one thing that has been funny. People live tweeting throughout that um, the the fight of the weekend, saying that that Pacquiao was going to get the decision and get a robbery. When really his, his career is basically littered with kind of some questionable decisions against him. If you look at <laughs> the Horn one was fairly 50-50, went against him. The Bradley one, obviously, yeah. definitely shouldn't have gone against him. The the Furman one is a split decision. I, mean, I don't know how yeah. how yeah. went away. So there are some uh, some questionable ones in there where you think, for the guy who would have been the, the house fighter, if you like, the, the bigger name, yeah. he has had some go against him. But I, I guess neither of us would be too upset if he, if he does choose to call it a day. Usually... He came out after and pretty much in his first interview said, you know, I think this might be the last time you see me fight. And then they asked percentage-wise, and I, said, oh, I don't know why you do this, but yeah, it's 60-40. Yeah. But the fact the first words out of his mouth means he probably thought about it before the fight. And no belts. The, the belts aren't what motivate him anymore, are they? It's, it's the fights. And Errol Spence is going to be out for a while. 
you struggled to sell the Crawford fight now after him losing there. So no, that's it. You even the him and Spence fight. I think the the fascination was Spence is the guy at the minute. He was the guy. How much has he got left? That that sort of crossroads, if you like, fight now. We basically know where Pacquiao's at, and it's it's not at the top level. So you you don't want to see a diminished Pacquiao going out there anymore. I don't think. I think, as you said, I would happily see him call it a day. Yeah, they were mentioning uh, Josh Taylor um, before. I mean, Freddie Roach said, "Who's that?" But that usually tells you there's a little more in it, like they're thinking about it. Um, but there we go. Again, again, I think a good. Good for Pacquiao that he won't get that. Cause I don't, again, don't think he needs it. No. That's um, all. But there we go. We can uh, call it a day there. West Ham have just gone 1 0 up. Jeez. Uh, four nails. Um, so, yeah. Thank you again for listening to another edition of the Spitballing Pod. We'll be back at Moving Madness on Friday. Adios. <laughs>